0: Inside Books with Breeda Brown.
1: Welcome to Inside Books, a programme about the magical world of writing. I'm Breeda Brown, and in each episode of Inside Books, we chat to people associated with the world of books, including well-known authors, publishers, editors, agents, critics, booksellers, and more. You'll find Inside Books on SoundCloud or iTunes, or wherever you download your podcasts. We'd love to hear from you, so feel free to leave us a rating or a review. Our Twitter handle is at InsideBooks, E, where you'll also find lots of other interesting books news. My guest today is Martina Fitzgerald, the political correspondent for RTÉ News. She's just written a book called Madam Politician, The Women at the Table of Irish Political Power. In the last 100 years, just 19 women have sat at the Cabinet Table in Ireland. And in this book, Martina interviews 17 of the surviving 19, as well as two former female presidents of Ireland, Mary Robinson and Mary McAleese. The book brings together their voices to reveal the challenges faced by women in the Irish political world. Martina, I'm dying to hear all about Madam Politician, but first I want to find out more about you. You're from Meath. That's right. I'm from a very small village called Kilskir where
0: there literally was the shop, the school, the post office and the church and we had the shop. And then uh, my mum is still living in Mead. Uh, she's in at Boy. But yes, I went to the local school uh,
1: and then came to the big bad city. <laughs> and you do go you studied history and politics at UCD so the politics possibly came before the journalism then, did the it? The politics came before the journalism and I didn't
0: know after college what I really wanted to do and I think a lot of people are like that when they study something like history and politics and they go into all sorts of areas. But I realised the reason I was fixed to the TV was A the politics and B the journalism.
1: So how did you merge them both then?
0: Well, um, I started freelancing in an little radio station called An Olivia, and then I knew that's what I wanted to do. I and then I I started hounding a woman in Orty Radio called Pat Brennan, and she uh, she she, she eventually
1: to, relented after <laughs> six
0: months of me hounding her. And actually, uh, I would later work with her when she was the producer of um, the editor of the nine o'clock news. And she joked that I hounded her so much and she she helped me so much when I was starting off <laughs> that people used to think we were related. Oh, really? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Nepotism is alive and well. That's what they thought.
0: And I also then hounded another man called Michael Good, who um, was a head of radio news and he gave me my first break and he was at my book launch and he said, wasn't I right? And I really owe them an awful lot. He so could. anyone out there who wants to get into journalism,
1: perseverance, grit <laughs> and hard work. Absolutely. And not to be afraid to ask. And what did you start doing then when you were in RT? Where did you kick off? I actually started on the overnight
0: shifts and that is a hard slog. You start it at, is. you know, 11 o'clock at night and you could be working till six, half six in the morning or at the weekends till eight. And I always remember my first overnight. The next day I was walking down the corridor and I met David Hanley and he said, best of luck. This is how I started. And Andrew, was he on his way into Morning Ireland at that he time? He was on his way into Morning Ireland. We all remember his voice and also So his great phrase is, are you serious? (laughs) He would, uh, you know, put it to some politician or other. But uh, so that's how I started. And then I went to 2FM, Radio 1, Morning Ireland, News at 1, the 6, old Network 2 News, if you remember. The 9 o'clock news had many lovely years. And then into Leinster House when I got the political correspondent gig in 2013. Did you work in print journalism at all? I did a little bit. Every journalist has to do bits and bobs to get there when they're freelancing. So I um, did a little bit for the Sunday Business Post. Um, I did a little bit for, for other newspapers. Uh, the Independent Magazine and lots of bits and bobs trying to, to make a living and pay the rent while trying to, to get a gig, a, a permanent gig, which is, you know, a rare thing now. The Holy,
1: the holy Grail. So you did and you got into Orty, and then you were made political correspondent in 2013 and you were the first female political correspondent in quite a while. Yes, Una Claffey before
0: me had been, a good few years before me had been the correspondent and fair dues to her because when you think of all these women who've paved the way whether it's in politics or journalism, Fair news to her. So, she actually wrote a book, ironically, about women in politics She did. back in the early 90s, which I've referenced a good few times in the book. So, yes, it was the first time for a while, a while. But recently, on International Women's Day, I took a picture of, I think it was 2006, and of the press gallery, all the women working and men uh, as correspondents and reporters in Leicester There were three women Ursula Halligan, Miriam Donoghue, and Emily O'Reilly. And fast forward to 2018, and there were 15, 16 women standing outside Leinster House. Such a difference. And what do you think has changed to help that? I think it's now expected and accepted that women can do the hard news as well. They can do politics and they can get to the very top of their profession. Now, I have to say there are people like Geraldine Kennedy and Emily O'Reilly, Miriam Callan, who all paved the way for people like us. But there are more women now getting in the door and there are more women uh, covering politics. And Sheila De Valera, uh, the former minister, said when she was in the Dáil in the 70s, she used to look up the press gallery and it reflected, you know, the politicians. There were just so few women in Leinster House reporting politics and it's no
1: longer the preserve of men. And so, obviously, the germ of this idea must have been in your head then for a while. Where when did it hit you like a bolt and just go, "I need to do this"? I knew
0: I wanted to do something about women politicians. I just wanted to get the right idea. And with the anniversary of Countess Markovic's appointment in April of next year, I had a I had an angle, and I knew it was a it was a winnable one. And. To be honest, I was as shocked as anyone to find out there was only nineteen appointments in almost a hundred years, and I think I had fifteen of of the seventeen surviving ministers at my book launch. Just two were where Morgan Quinn and Mary Harney were both abroad, but you know. This is about
1: time this happened. And amazing to have them all, all in the one room. So you decided then this was the idea, you were going to sit down and write the book. How did you decide on what way to lay out the book or how it was going to work? Well, I was very lucky because the commissioning editor in
0: Gill, his first meeting, Connor Nagel, I was going to do chapter by chapter and he said, don't. <laughs> and I didn't. From that first meeting, it was one of the best, you know, pieces of advice I got because I I did it on themes and I knew the themes immediately. The first one was Why So Few? Then In The Thaw, Climbing the political ladder in the corridors of power that's getting to cabinet and then I decided to, you know obviously the oris to do some you know wider issues that affect women in politics appearance in the media sexism as we've all heard about family and also then changing Ireland all the social changes that these women have have witnessed
1: And did you decide on the themes before you sat down to do the interviews with these individuals or did the themes naturally emerge? No I had a structure from the beginning and I think that was so important because you can see then they fit
0: into each chapter very well and especially when you're juggling nineteen women mm-hmm. and <laughs> in interviews and trying to weave them in. It's so important to get that right at the beginning. And that's one piece of advice I pass on to someone else who's writing their first book. That was so invaluable to me and it works. I think it's a better read, but it's more difficult from my end trying to put to them all, put together. all together.
1: So essentially what you've done is you've got the themes and underneath each of those themes you're nearly given the views of all the various women and, and weaving that into the narrative and it really flows uh, really, really well as a result. But as you just said, how did you pull all of that together? Was it really difficult? Torturous. <laughs> right? The
0: edit and re-editing because once of course you've got one interview done, you've, you're getting your um, it transcribed and then you're putting it down, the pieces you want to use in each chapter. But it's changing all the time as you do each interview. And obviously I finished the interviews uh, last spring. So there was a serious amount of work on the writing and weaving and changing and I think I underestimated that and I'm going to say I was stuck my laptop for every spare moment I brought it to the hairdressers <laughs> and I said please no talking and I have to pay tribute to my stylist John and Peter Mark and Grafton because by God he picked a, you know a lot and actually they were all there at uh, the book launch because <laughs> out of pure support that they can finally talk to me again but that is the hard bit and I think to go back again and again and to to fine tune it and some good pieces of advice from Connor just to make it better
1: and obviously you would have got fantastic stories I've no doubt from all nine of them. How difficult was it to decide what to include and what not to include? To be honest half the work was done with the structure but you're right there's a lot on the editing
0: floor because each interview could be an hour, an hour and a half some went up to two so you've quite a lot of material but to be honest after a long time it, it started to take a form and yes I had to drop some bits and bobs but overall I think you know the structure if it worked for the structure and also literally the stories, the best stories made it you know and there's some great stu- stories, some very, we've heard about the bleak ones but there's some really funny ones
1: And were you conscious of balance I suppose in that you weren't letting one or two politicians get a lines, share a voice when really you wanted to make sure that everybody was mentioned.
0: And that is, that's an issue with a book like this that you have people from different poli- political persuasions and you, you don't want one party running away with it but I also I suppose I gave a lot of time to the women who served in the early days, particularly in the 70s and 80s, because their experiences are so much different than the present day. But I was very conscious that all the women featured and had their say and and told their stories.
1: And even just to go back to before that, you obviously had to track them all down asked them would they take part and they all said yes. And actually, Catherine McGuinness uh,
0: made that point, it's about trust, because you're you're sitting down for an hour, an hour and a half and with someone like Mary Harley doesn't really give interviews. So they're really placing their trust with you that you will, I, I suppose, give their stories, you know, obviously space, but o- be give the nuances and you know be honest in how they're stating it not cut half the sentence out because that means an awful lot in politics you can say yes I really didn't respect him but I admired him if you cut that out half of the context is gone so they gave a lot and I understand that and I appreciate that uh, and it's a big give on their part but yes as Mary O'Rourke said when I she was the first person I called and she put it <laughs> as only a Mary O'Rourke I can, Rourke can imagine what she said <laughs> she said you <laughs> I said, would you, would you mind doing an interview for my book? Uh, because uh, I,
1: um, I'm trying to, to get all the women. She goes, well, you can't do it without me. Uh, there you go. And that's, that's the attitude. But in addition to interviewing them, obviously the research had to be meticulous to make sure that dates were right and, and context was right. Grueling. Yeah. I have two
0: <laughs> stacks of books still in the spare room and they're up. And because, for instance, Gart Fitzgerald would have covered Gemma Hussey's period and some other and some of the social change aspects, and Barry Desmond's. I was looking at reference points for the women and also Gemma Hussey uh, obviously wrote her own book which was a diary of Cabinet which will never happen again because of Cabinet confidentiality. And did you read all of those I read books? all of them and then you're looking for newspaper articles but the books alone and then the political papers. People like uh, Claire McGing, uh, Vaughan Galligan, Fiona Buckley all of these people have done Theresa Reedy, Super research in the area, and it's knitting that in as well, and giving context because you could just do a book about stories, but it's the context as well and the political analysis. So it's it is more than it's it's not just a political book. And I I see it's it's a book for women in the in the workplace as well, but there also is the context that was so important for me.
1: And I think what's interesting reading it is. As you said, how important and how interesting and different the 60s, 70s, 80s were. All of those decades and how things evolved over over time. And, you know, you're a female in political journalism, so you're not a politician, but you're based down in Leinster House and you're covering this all the time. You know, could you relate, I suppose, to any of the challenges as well that they were coming up with? Well, for instance... I'm not going to relate about the stories about
0: the toilets in Leinster House in the 70s and 80s. They were very sparse. As Mary Coughlin, the former Thornster, said, they were as far away as a lighthouse. Or Mary Harney said, uh, the men's, we're always closer to the action than the women's toilets Okay, so we have more toilets in Leinster House today but on the bigger issues appearance as a television journalist of course I empathise and understand what they go through because you do get more attention and if your hair is flying or your makeup is non-right or you have something that is distracting from the viewer you're going to get more attention for that and also there is more scrutiny now it can be very positive I get a lot of of um, queries about about where I got pieces of of clothing. But there's no doubt you do get more scrutiny. Now, some of the women would say they have been really uh, under the microscope to a terrible degree, and particularly about their weight, which has been depicted in cartoons, and that no male politician is going to get that, and nor should they. But on the other side of the coin, a lot of them say it can be an asset. If you
1: are in a sea of grey suits, who's going to get noticed? The women wearing the pink or the men in the suits. Absolutely. So it's not a case of blending in, it's a case of trying to to stand out, especially when there are so few females within that grouping. And some of them, you know, it is a strategy,
0: wear bold colours. Also, it works on television. And actually, Mary Hannafin, uh, a former Minister for Education, she always on the big days wore local, wore a female designer and wore green for her the Republican tint so she had a very big strategy into her clothes but there's little doubt that uh, you are going to come under more scrutiny whether it's about your hair Maura Gagan Quinn the second minister in the history of the state she got an awful lot of flack from a female journalist back in the day uh, because her hair the journalist thought was too long and she believed she should cut it because the journalist thought she was too old to wear that style. Now, can anyone say here, you know, does anyone remember such a comment being made about a male politician? Maybe. It's, it's, it's the exception. It's not the norm.
1: And Joan Bertina said the same thing as well. She found sometimes she got criticised by female journalists. And at one point she was in a debate and there was comments as well made about the tights she was wearing or the colour of the tights she was wearing. So, yeah, you'd sort of wonder, would there not be more of maybe a little bit of a sisterhood going on? Exactly. And apparently the main
0: complaint about those tights were that they were too shiny. (laughs) We have little to be worrying about, don't we? (laughs) In the middle of a general election campaign. But it is part of, of the job. And Mary Robinson and Mary McAleese, the two former presidents, probably the most photographed women in Ireland at the time of their terms as head of state, it is part of the of the job, and both had to recognise that. And I don't know anyone who would do what Mary McAleese did, even in their personal lives. She left it up to her her, her team. She delegated. So when she went on a foreign trip, she only found out what they had packed when she opened it. When the she suitcase. Got there. I mean, I wouldn't even do that on my holidays. I don't know about you. But, and actually, this is really interesting. Mary McAleese never had a phone or a handbag for her years in the Auris. So she had to change that. And now she, as she says, toodles around in jeans. And Mary Robinson didn't wear trousers. At all. <laughs> At all. And now she's back wearing them. And I saw her last night and she's
1: she's back in the trousers. And and the other interesting theme along that, the, the visual side and, and how people are... are perceived what they all said though was they wanted to come across and look professional that's right They and that
0: heather humphrey said she didn't want it to distract from mm. her and that she is wearing the same kind of clothes that she wore while she was a manager in her local credit union that she has not changed it's a business place and she's treating it like that and i suppose a lot of them Uh, say that as well Mary Harney would make
1: the point as well that it's a workplace that's it exactly Martina it's your first book how did you find it? (laughs) <laughs> grueling, torturous,
0: and I was a full-time political correspondent at the time. You can imagine the last year was so busy. Uh, someone asked me recently, "What have you learned, you know, over the last year? That it is really hard, damn hard, to write a book." Do you? Were you naive going into it? Do you think? No, but I underestimated the amount of work. But I have to say, and people always say this and it's a bit of a cliche oh you have to love what you're writing about you have to <laughs> adore what you're loving it, what you're writing about and i have to say if i really wasn't fixed to that idea and really didn't believe in it and I wouldn't have got through it. You would have given up. I would have given up and even through every political challenge and crisis last year, I was at home writing till all hours and every weekend you really have to be into it and I went back again and again because I wanted to fine tune it so that's what I've learned. You have to get the right idea even the title I spent a lot of time time on and people think that it just comes out and, and I had got so much good advice about everything from the title they did a lovely job of the cover i'm so pleased with it but the title has a little bit of historical resonance because obviously madam politician i have ministers and presidents so i couldn't say madam minister but also um Countess Markovitch used to uh, reference herself as Madame with an E uh, when uh, she was sometimes talking to people because she didn't want to be known by the English titles Miss or Mrs. Mm. She wanted to be known as the French Revolutionary Madame. So there was was a lot of thought gone into a lot of things and I think you have to if you're going in for it throw everything at it and I know it's a pain when you're there at midnight I know it's there when you're there at six o'clock in the morning but you just have to keep going and
1: you will not see your friends for a very long time. And you need to warn them of that beforehand. And as we said, did you rely on your publisher then a lot for guidance in relation to to the first book? I think that they gave me the best piece of advice, Conor Nagel, on the structure.
0: And that helped so much because I had a template for all the interviews and then I could get the different experiences and see on the spectrum how what these women thought of issues. So it made it a lot more easier in terms of weaving in the items later. And also just in terms of context to go back and, you know, when we were editing it, to look back at maybe what exactly was the 1970s like? Because we know that Mary Robinson was told to go back and mind your kids uh, rather than being out on the campaign trail. But you have to remember the 1970s was not... It was a different place in Ireland in wider society for women in terms of pay, in terms of the workplace. You had to leave your job in the public service when you got married, in terms of um, not being able to refuse having sex with your husband. It's amazing that it was a different time and some of us take that for granted because we didn't walk that walk. So context was very important and they were very good in saying, you know, just to fill the reader in, uh, people of of future generations, that this was a different world. And on that note, I have to say Mary Robinson was was very generous in her story because she was saying when she went to see the train, the play about uh, the famous train that went to Belfast um, for contraceptives back in 1971 because they were banned here they were
1: banned here, and even in and we need to remind ourselves. In 1992, that it was a Virgin mindset. Mega Stores
0: was still being fined for selling condoms. That her her niece didn't realise that this had happened, and who is an intelligent, clever young woman, she was so shocked that this was even an issue, and that's why it was so important the advice they gave me about the context.
1: And the reviews are out. Woohoo! <laughs> <laughs> How are you finding reading them? Uh, so far so good, and. I'm
0: confident, like whatever happens, I can walk away from Madam Politician and say, I gave it everything, I'm happy. You know sometimes when you finish a piece of work and you go, gosh, I would have have done it a little bit better. I can honestly say that I can walk away and gave this everything. How long did it take you to write it, actually? From last October. I got in my car and remember I was doing a full-time job, got in my car, I took some weeks off, but... I got in my car and headed first interview at loan to Mary, Mary O'Rourke. O'Rourke and then Gemma Hussey, Neave Brannock, Maura Gagan Quinn and so on until the final one was Francis Fitzgerald and the two presidents and everyone in between. But it took a year and I would say right up to August to my holidays and even in August when it came back I was checking and checking. So it took a lot of time and that's one of the things I was surprised about but now, so many people are going, when are you writing your next book? I mean, I was hold say, hold <laughs> it, hold <laughs> it. I'm taking
1: a little break, says <laughs>
0: you. Yeah. So what is next? Back to the day job. Back to the day job. I'm focusing on my book and I'm also focusing on when the next general election is going to be and on that note I'm very happy because my book could have been out of date even before its publication uh, because of the Cabinet reshuffle so thank you Leo Varadkar because your, your reshuffle had no impact so there are no more female thank uh, ministers
1: God. thank God says you. and actually interestingly you've had a number of other colleagues in RTE who've who have written books as well mostly fiction though so you need to go down that route now a saucy a saucy one or a, tr- a crime thriller where we probably kill
0: everyone in Lancer <laughs> House. in Lester House, exactly. And I'll get some good pieces of advice from Sinead Crowley who's been very
1: generous and Ricochet has also been great. Well, Martina Fitzgerald, thank you for joining us on Inside Books and you'll find Martina's book Madam Politician in your local bookshop now. The next episode of Inside Books will be out soon. Just keep an eye on our Twitter feed for details. The handle is at Inside Books IRE. If you want to hear other podcasts, just search for us on SoundCloud or iTunes and don't forget to leave us a rating or review. I'm Brida Brown. Until next time, keep reading. Inside Books is a unique media production.